Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony, and I'm here with Russell. Oh, I'm so delighted to be here today. He already has the giggles, and that's because we're joined by a very special guest, one of Russell's closest and dearest friends, and someone I met in Mysore. I don't exactly remember the year, but he was just always kind of hanging out around the coconut stand. Lurking. Lurking, exactly. And I was thinking, who's that old man? (laughs) Uh, Robert, Robert Cavallero was that old man. Robert, what's your last name? Uh, excuse Cal- me, middle name. Middle uh, name. Clive, like Clive of Indian. Fucking, you're fucking kidding me. No, really? Yeah. Robert Clive of, Clive of uh, Cavallero. Of India. Cavallero. Uh, for those of you who don't know Robbie, don't have the pleasure of knowing the great gentleman that is Robert Cavallero, uh, he was my apprentice at Stanford University for something like 10 years. Uh, He was the principal benevolent guide to my living in San Francisco in the first place. Uh, Without him, I'm not sure I would have been able to make the the transition. He is a man with unshaking generosity, uh, a lightness of touch, a joie de vivre, uh, esprit that makes one think of of Balakrishna or Evelyn Waugh, <laughs> a, um, a unique pioneer in cosmic consciousness, actually. And another time he might have been referred to as an acid casualty. And yet he still manages to navigate our world still. We want to share him and his story with you. Robbie, are you a native to San Francisco? Uh, um, hi. I hi. was born. Yeah, I was born uh, in Palo Alto. Wow. In the old Stanford Hospital. And so and you were there through all of the amazing events that took place within San Francisco over the past many decades. Yes. Yes. So many um, crazy things. And um I think, I think you lived through them all. <laughs> In spirit, I lived well, through them all. Well, yeah. you know, we, we yes. are still alive, so we have, yeah, we have lived through them. Um, Robbie, I think, actually, we're going to kind of get into this a little bit. Robbie's a, a third-generation um, Bay Area resident. And uh, I know that his grandfather uh, ran like a an apple cart in Oakland, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he was a gardener. He was a gardener, and so what, did he sell things on a on a cart? I don't know. <laughs> you know, my dad was. Uh, I'd ask him stuff, and he'd say, "That's that's that's the past. Forget about it." Well, for good reason. Um, I, I, um, for example, your grandfather um, has a very famous brother in Italy, and uh, 
It's it's interesting. I actually in my house have a have a prized possession of your great uncle. Um, it's a prized piece of Nazi memorabilia. And it's oh my a God. it's a sailing hat worn by Field Marshal um, Hugo Cavallero, who was um, actually Field Marshal to Erwin Rommel in the Africa campaign. Oh and my gosh, Robbie! <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you could explain how I, as a Jew, someone who loathes Nazis and fascists could explain how I came to be in possession of this artifact. I know that's just the, just the wrong side of history. And I mean, we, we just got rid of uh, Duryodhana, uh, uh, Ravana, Voldemort, Trump. <laughs> Ravana, and, Voldemort, Trump. And you Nazi, yeah. I, I... I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, uh, Ugo Cavallero. Um, is it just, I mean, he was wrapped up in the whole bad, bad thing. And I have to confess, I don't know the provenance of that, that cap for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it could be Ugo's. I mean, it, I mean, it could be, could even have been Mr. Rogers. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing that you're on camera. You refuse, uh, you refuse to take accountability for the, <laughs> the hat. For the hat. <laughs> let's. I mean, we could let's see. But there are other great Italians who I'm not related to that we could think of, like. Um, uh, so. I've seen pictures of him, of Hugo. I've looked him up, and he is a very—he is a very small man. And I did notice the yeah. hat is way too small for me, and I'm not large. And so, just based on that evidence, I assume that it was real. Also, that yeah, none of your children—your children wouldn't take it from you, would they? I—I I don't think they uh, wanted it because of what it might have been. Mm-hmm what it might be, what it yeah. might represent. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, Ugo, Uncle Ugo, uh, we went, uh, Harry and Pierce and I, you know, our, our kids went to um, Italy together. We went to Frinco, where my grandfather and grandmother were from, this little town between Milano and uh, Torino, mm-hmm. up on top of a hill. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody is just, you know, everybody who's young is gone. They've all gone to the cities. Mm-hmm. And there are people burning leaves in the street, little piles of leaves. And then the, 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 um, uh, the cemetery is just full of cavaleros. Oh. As I understand... There was a certain point when Mussolini was um, castrated and hung in in Italy. Shortly after that, uh, a number of Italians uh, rejected the the Reich, rejected Nazism, and I believe that Uncle Ugo was among their number. Yes, he got uh, in trouble with the Germans for that. He did, didn't he? 
Yeah, they just kind of left a, a pistol on the desk for him. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And he just, he, uh, I think what you're suggesting is he, he used the pistol to. Um... Yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. It's so weird how uh, your your children wouldn't want his cap. I I'm I it's a prized possession in our home. <laughs> For you. Oh, yeah, for oh me. good. <laughs> I've tried to hide it several times. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's good to have, you know, to remember yeah. the things that that uh, that we don't want to become. It's true. That's true. <laughs> Speaking of which, Robert, do you remember how we met? Yes, because um we were, I mean, I think I knew who you, who you were. And yeah. uh, we were in the, in the foyer in Gokulam. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I remember because you, you told the story on another podcast. And oh, I did was, I? Yes. And I was thinking, well, you got it almost right. But the way <laughs> I remember it, and I think I remember, I really do remember it because I was so, the thing I remember about it was Sherat saying old schoolers. Old schoolers. Oh. And you, you know, he said, so I got up, I'd been waiting and waiting. And this was my first, uh, I don't know if it was my first trip or not. Maybe it was because the first time it was 2008. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got up. And started walking in. I was halfway across the room, and Trot looked up, and he said, "No, not you. <laughs> let the let the old schoolers come." But you and are so I, you. You do look like an old schooler, though. And I thought, well, I, aren't I an old schooler? And but <laughs> no, he wanted to, you know, one of one of the true old schoolers, one of the true old students <laughs> from back in the day. And it was you. We were the only ones left in the foyer. Yeah. It was the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And these are the old schoolers. Yeah. And then it was me. And I remember, I remember standing up, smiling. And, uh, and I also like feeling like so much contempt for you at the same time. Like, like oh, this guy. Yeah. He's not going to be a problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's so impressive. I, I did. I got that a lot. You weren't the only one who felt that way. <laughs> and then later, um, maybe that week, there was, a, there was a full moon party on someone's rooftop terrace. Uh, might have been Susan Hounsell in that neighborhood. Uh-huh. on that street somewhere yes and uh i remember sitting i was sitting on the roof with you and a couple other people and i was just in conversation with you and i was very suspicious of course right away because it was yeah. you, it was like uh, this guy <laughs> and, and uh but a very after like a after like a couple of minutes i began to understand like you kept like i don't know quoting passages back at me or somehow referring to th- to things that I had read and I had realized in that moment that you had read everything that I had written online yes yes and that you were my only fan <laughs> <laughs> it really no I got um to uh Mysore listening 
to uh, watching your video at, from uh, Tai from Taipei mm-hmm. from Space Yoga yeah. and listening, reading um, things that you'd said. I think uh, Richard Freeman had just been been on another trip to visit you in uh, in Taipei. And you, you wrote about what, uh, you know, what he had imparted to you. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. How did you come to find this obscure writing that Russell was doing online, Robbie? I don't know, because back then it was harder to find yeah, stuff. It was yeah. all posted on Elise Espat's stuff. Oh. What, what, what was that called? The Mysore Journal? Yes, the, I remember that. Wasn't like Elephant Journal? No, you can still find it, actually. What was that thing called? Mysore? I yep. forgot. Mysore Student Blog? We'll have to get Elise on and ask her. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's... And I was like, wow, this guy could actually be, be really cool. Um, I mean, if you're going to have a fan, you kind of need to support them. And, <laughs> yes. you know... Get them Take shirts. care of the old guy. Yeah. <laughs> and right at that time, um, I, I think actually Sally, the my ex-wife at the time, still ex-wife, um, she had gone home and she had researched you somehow and found out that you were in you were you were in Burlingame and, and she came to me in the kitchen. She was all excited and she said, you know. Burlingame is one of the wealthiest subdivisions in the country. It's like, oh, oh, I didn't, oh. So I think we should kind of maybe be really nice to him. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay. All right, that's interesting. And so Sally needed to go to San Francisco. She was going to take a job. She's going to go to school there for university. And so I needed to get work in San Francisco, and I didn't know anything about it. We're leaving Taiwan. I had a, um, I thought, incredibly successful Mysore program in Taipei at Space U. You did. And it was, it was just doing really well. Um, wow. And I really think I made a mistake by leaving Taiwan. But you never know how things work out, you know. So... You would have never met Robbie. I know. Become friends. I know. I would, I would have confounded you. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, I would have chased you down. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I, I, so I felt like I felt really very desperate and I felt like I needed work in San Francisco or the Bay area somehow. And right at that time, do you remember this, that, that Sharat was going to do a, um, he was going to do a tour stop in the Bay area. Yes. And so this would have been 2009 and he right. came himself and then i i was i was gonna fly in and my my idea was i'll go around to all the different studios in san francisco the bay area oakland palo alto uh san jose and i'll just see if i can find find something and just talk to everybody that i knew whether whether it was a darsh or heidi and john uh, or vance i would just talk to everybody and i would just see you know what's what's out there yeah, I, exactly. And you came. And, well, what happened to Shrug? Do you remember what happened? Like, what, he ended up, like, not 
making it or yeah he came um and did two two day a couple of days of um lead classes in the place that heidi and john set up yeah and then he um i remember this so well because uh the uh somebody said to him you've got to come to the phone um i think it was right before the third class started and it was uh that uh Guruji was uh Tabi Joyce was really sick oh. so he left yeah. went back to Gokulam and um Johnny Smith uh taught the rest of the week right. in Sherrod's place yeah. yeah that's when I that was, arrived yeah. yeah and then and yes and then you came and I was I remember um I thought, well, I'm going to take advantage of this wealthy, rich guy who's my biggest fan. <laughs> yeah. And so I got into contact with you, and I said, um, I'm coming to San Francisco, and I'm and I'm like I'm trying to figure out uh, really what I wanted was like I want, probably just wanted to stay on your couch, but like I called, let's like, what's the right, what's the best way for me to do this? Yes. And do you remember what you what you offered me. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, no. What was it? I can't remember. I think, I think you I gave, said, come you, stay you, with us. You gave, well, no, I was really expecting you to say, come stay with us, but no. Yeah. What you, you did instead, <laughs> you offered me a choice. You said, there's this really good hotel that's uh, a couple blocks from where Sherrod's teaching, which was something like $150 a night when I looked it up, which at the time seemed outrageously expensive. There's no way. A deal. <laughs> or you said I could stay at the the, the smelly club. The smelly, and, yes. And and that which is the PU club, which is the Pacific Union Club. Yeah. And I could stay there, but I was gonna have to buy a suit. I think you actually assumed that I had one, which I did not. Uh, oh <laughs> that's right. That's right, I remember now. So I, I like, I thought about it and I even like asked my mom what I should do. I was, I was probably just like trying to get money out of her, you know, and uh, <laughs> she, we, she said, yeah, buy a suit. You'll need a suit. Everyone needs a suit. And so everyone I went, need to see. I got one of my other rich students in Taiwan, um, Tiffany and Ken, and uh-huh. they, they took me out and they, they bought me a suit. I remember and, uh, you sending me photographs of two ver- two versions. <laughs> Which one do you like better? I did. I was, and I went with your, your opinion. I can't remember which one it was, but it, it was, was the good. gray one. It was the gray one. But then Tiffany gave me the white one as a going away present, which was awesome. So I had oh, that is out. awesome. I remember the white one too, yes. So you, I think, picked me up from the airport and in like a BMW 700 series, which was. Oh, Nori's exactly. car. Yes. My yeah. wife's car. <laughs> exactly what I was hoping for. The fancy one. This is great. This is just what I was looking for. And you drove me to the Pacific Union Club, the Smelly Club, and you dropped me off and you left me the keys. Yeah, well, you needed a car. You had to drive all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Everybody. I did have you to do that. Buddies. I was going to use, like, take the cab or something, but I, you was like, oh, no, no, just take the car. I was like, and now I'm at the most exclusive men's club in the world 
with a BMW 700 series in a suit. <laughs> and I was going to stay there for free for 10 days in the, in, at the top of Knob Hill in the heart of San Francisco. The top of Knob Hill. Um, I just remember when, uh, I think you told me that you pulled up and f- went to see um, John and Heidi. John Berlinski. John Berlinski. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, you went to see uh, JB, John yeah. Berlinski, but uh, you also had to see uh, uh, John uh, Wilhelm and Heidi. Oh, yeah. And um, we went together the first time, and then I think you went back. That's right. And you'd been doing so much, and then we, you know, we didn't get much sleep. No. And uh, so you, you parked in, the, in uh, their driveway. Yeah, the shawl, and uh, and fell asleep in the car. It was like 20, 30 minutes early. Oh yeah, maybe even an hour early. And I had just driven up, maybe that time from uh, from Oakland or from Marin. I don't know, but I'd I'd got there. I'm still in my suit because I had to wear a suit to enter where I lived at the PU club. I had to wear a suit all the time. All the time. So I. I'd, I'd wear the suit to leave, go to the yoga class, and then I'd start touring the Bay Area looking for a job. Yes. And I get to John and Heidi's, and I'm still in my suit. I'm a little bit early, and I fell asleep in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I think John uh, comes out, and he says, who, who the hell is parked their BMW in my driveway? Yeah. And you come up and bang on your bang on the window yeah. and say, yeah. "What are you doing here?" Yeah, and I was, and, I, and he didn't even because I'm wearing a suit. He didn't even know who I was, and I like I rolled down the window like this is Russell. He's like you're Russell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm here for a job. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't and, the first time you'd met. Um, it gets a little fuzzy. I think actually, I think I think Robbie's right. I think the first time was Robbie and I together, um, but he didn't know who I was yeah. for sure. I don't think and, John was there when we talked to Heidi. Oh, maybe that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so I, I ended up getting a job with John and Heidi, and that's, that's who gave me the job eventually. Um, I think it was supposed to go to... Brett Porzio. It was supposed to go to Brett Porzio, but Brett, <clears throat> but Brett waffled a little bit, and I was right there. You know, I was in the house. I said, yeah, and, they, and so they gave me the job. With a suit on. With, I had a suit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, can you tell us a little bit, why do you have to wear a suit at the PU Club, can you tell us a little bit about that place? I um, I think it's just like most of those stuffy old, you know, clubs. You've got to have a, a jacket and a tie on. I don't know why. And no jeans I think that's, either. No, no, no jeans, no denim. Yeah, no denim. Denim's for miners. <laughs> <laughs> In the, the gold li- rush. Ladies have to wear dresses also. I guess so, yeah. But they're not, they're not allowed in the club, I thought, women. No oh, women, yeah. no Democrats, and no reporters. 
That's the rule. I um, uh, no, well, it's changed. It has changed. Yeah, it's it's more the way it should be, which you know, hopefully, it continues to change. Well, if you can get me into the club, you know, I I would be happy to help make changes from the inside. I yes, I have very very <laughs> fond memories of this place. I remember when I got there, I was thirty five. And I remember going around, looking around, and like I'd go to the pool downstairs, which is like this fabulous Grecian reliquary, and and there'd be like dead old men like floating in the pool, and like the they'd have to come by and they have to fish the dead men out like <laughs> once a day because so many de- old men died in there, naked in the pool, yeah. naked in the, yeah, and they were naked floating blobs in the pool, and. Um, and it'd be like guys like Casper Weinberger was dead in there. <laughs> Nixon died in that pool. Um, uh, Rockefeller, St- William Randolph Hearst. They're all members of the club who all died in that pool. <laughs> and all of them. I remember when I was like walking around, it was like, it was just like the shining. It was just like this, 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 it's not a hotel. It's like a, it's a, it's a place where people stay you're like the only one there <laughs> and anytime you see another person you're younger than them by 40 years yeah yeah you're 40 definitely years the youngest person there yeah. on average 40 yeah 70 yeah. yeah 75 would be the next youngest person i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean the best thing about that club is the library and yeah the um, library. i didn't the library yeah you remember the library mm-hmm. um it's uh, and I didn't know about this when when you were staying there. I just found out like I don't know a few years ago, but they have a great edition of the Mahabharata that was printed in 1930 on Dum Dum Road in Calcutta. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, it's like these twelve volumes that are weigh 500 pounds. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's just beautiful. I've gotten through maybe the first uh, 10 pages in the past five years. Uh, <laughs> You're going to have to spend a it's, lot more time in that library. <laughs> it's, it's so um, different. I, ha- I mean, I've read the, like the Ramesh Menon uh, version, which mm-hmm. is still very long, but it's so much shorter. Yeah, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah. There's some really cool stuff in the library. You know, I'm I'm going to bring this up again. We brought it up with John Campbell uh, on our last podcast, but uh, our our dearest friend Gene Ruffin passed. Oh yeah, yeah and thanks. one of the, one of the things I'm most fond of is that Gene was a big deal in San Francisco in the 70s because he was, you know, director of the Palo Alto Research Laboratory where they invented the mouse and they invented windows and then later gifted those ideas to Steve Jobs. And he was working with Xerox, you know. So he was like um, vice president of North American um, sales for Xerox. Um, But he would not have been allowed in that club at that time maybe well i don't know um he's certainly even as powerful he was he wasn't invited 
to ever go there. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really tickled about is getting an invitation through you for Jean and Salima to stay at the club over the weekend. During, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. During the U.S. Open. Yeah. So I stayed across the street at the, um, oh, what's the hotel across the street? Uh, the uh, Huntington or the Fairmont. The Fairmont. So I stayed across yeah. the street at the Fairmont. Uh, which was a step down from the PU club. And they went and stayed over the PU club. And then we would meet in the morning for breakfast at the Fairmont. Cause one morning I tried to go over to the PU club. Cause I've been there so many times through you. I'd kind of just yeah, taken they know for you. granted that I belong there, yeah. you know, and I went in there and I just sat down in my suit and started reading the newspaper and having breakfast. I think I poured myself a coffee and I think the manager of the club had to call Gene or call you and say, who is the young man in the dining room? He has, to, he has to leave. <laughs> so because that's the thing about white privilege is that you can just go anywhere and they won't arrest you. You know, yeah. they have to talk to them. They have to talk to the manager before you can dare address a white man in a suit. Oh, God. And so we would meet over at the Fairmont instead for breakfast, but that was, that was such an awesome time having, seeing them there, this, you know, this, these two people of color staying at the most privileged place in, in the, in the United States. I thought that was just really cool for them. Yeah. They thought it was a little shabby, but they, it's like they've had better hotels. Yeah, they have been, yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, how did you even get in? Um, oh, I'm, I mean, it was uh, my father-in-law, Nori's dad, who was a member. Mm -hmm. He was a, a neurosurgeon in San Francisco and a great Great guy, he died a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, Bob. But and, isn't there uh, something like 10 interviews with like. Oh, yeah, guests? you've got to um, have like 20 letters written and you've got to go see the, you've got to go meet the uh, members of the election committee. Mm -hmm. Every, everybody has to go through this. But, but you didn't, as I remember. You don't I remember did. You did do that? Oh, yeah. And they uh, it's fun because you get to go to most of the people who you see are, well, at that time, were working downtown San Francisco and they've got, you know, cool offices uh, or they're retired. And um, and you get to you get to meet people and get to know them it's, uh, and and talk, you know, just talk to them and see Mm. Well, that's that's disappointing because when you first told me the story, you said, "Oh, I don't have any idea how I got in." It's like most I, well, that's that's the Club. other thing. Yeah, I don't have any idea how I got in. The the uh, mechanics of it were going to see people, but aside from that, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> yeah, your dad. True. Your dad out of the apple cart business in Oakland. Your dad started. He, your dad started a um, like a commercial real estate business. Is that right? Well, he he uh, knows liquor business. He had uh, started liquor stores. He was in um, uh, the insurance business, selling insurance, driving around the state. 
Mm-hmm. And then he got the idea to uh, to uh, open a liquor store. So he had a few liquor stores that he that he opened to in Palo Alto, mm-hmm. Fremont, and and that's that's what uh, that's what that's what they did. Well, both my mom and dad. And so when you were when you were coming of age. Were were you sort of uh, groomed to take over the company? I, um, being an only child, mm-hmm. uh, except for Jenny, um, uh, my poodle, our poodle. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, they kind of, um, it was just a family business. So, yeah. Well, when you when you married Nori, I'm just kind of wondering, trying to feel out, like for your for your father-in-law, who's a neurosurgeon, a member of the PU club, probably a, uh, a member of the Bonfire Club or the Sequoia Club. You have these great old traditions: the Burlingame Club, Stanford, this old old uh, money, California. Yeah. Were, were you, I know that you, I know that you're extraordinarily handsome, but was it? Was it a step down for Nori or a step up? Oh, I think it was a step down. So how did they agree to that match? Well, I think they were just very, they were so nice to me. And it was just very, I mean, I didn't know. I mean, you kind of know. I'd, and it's kind of something that uh, in Shana's interview, you touched on, you know, the Irish and the Italians. Yeah. Uh, Barely human. He, really, yeah. And so for, like, Nori's, uh, for, you know, everybody's grandparents and even parents, it was, you know, that was fewer kind of, uh, it, it was, it, yeah, you were, it's like second-class citizens. I remember certainly my dad, who grew up in Temescal in Oakland, um, you know, really, that that was, you were... Out in the boonies. You had too many vowels in your name. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, I, just, I just don't know how you managed to convince her to marry you then. I, I don't either. <laughs> I really don't. I got lucky. <laughs> so before you married, um, before you married Nora, you actually had something of a, of a, uh, a first life, like a very interesting kind of, um, foray into into the universe before you kind of settled down because uh, I think you married at like 26 and Nori was 17, 18 uh, let's see she was uh, 18 yeah she was very young mm-hmm. and you were 26, 27? 27 27 yeah, 27, yeah. Okay. and so before that you would um <laughs> When you're, let's, let's, I just really want to figure this out. So you're in high school. Were you in private school? Were you a good lad? Were you taking, were you being considerate? Not I was, your parents? yeah, I went to Menlo School mm-hmm. in Atherton, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I grew up. Menlo in. Atherton, M.A. Oh, no, that's it. That was the public school. Menlo oh, no, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It was an MA. You remember because I think you had a program at MA. 
I did, yeah. I, I, yeah. I did work at MA. That's and right. uh, uh, it's a great, great school. Public, um, but yeah. Yeah, public. Mm. And uh, um, I went to, to, to Menlo and uh, then um, to uh, school. I spent a little time in Switzerland. I got sent to school in Switzerland. Uh, because I wanted to learn uh, French. You were going to be a sommelier. I want, well, I wanted to learn about wine. And back then, of course, French was, was uh, the, big, the big thing for wine. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a part of it. And then uh, I went to school uh, in Paris after that, too. But I grew up in Atherton. Wh- which school in Paris? The... Uh, Institut Catholique, mm-hmm. and um, on the on the Rue d'Assas. Mm-hmm. Oh. Were you wearing your hair long? Were you were you grungy, or were you quite well groomed at that point? In high school, I was, I was, I was very neat, and it wasn't until I went to um, to Esalen yeah. that uh, I got. Uh, that I changed a little bit, but um, in Atherton, growing up, it was, you know, Atherton's. Um, it was a it was a weird place. Uh, even now, I think it's one of the. I think it was four on the Forbes list. It's like the richest zip code in the country for the past few years. I guess it just eclipsed Burlingame recently. The Berlin game is yeah way down, way down the list. <laughs> but but uh, uh, it was it was kind of a hotbed of weird stuff though, Atherton back then, and it was very different then. It wasn't as fancy as it is now, for sure. Um, but like down the street, Ricky Schoenfeld was there, and we went we were in school together. Who was that? He was. Um, he kidnapped that school bus for <laughs> kids in um, Chowchilla. I don't know if you ever heard of the Chowchilla oh, kidnapping. We're going to look that up for sure. Yeah. So he he was your childhood friend. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, when did he kidnap a school bus? That was, let's see, 70, 75, 70, yeah, right. or something around then. Yeah, I mean, it's very famous. He he wasn't the ringleader. It was his his brother and this other guy from Woodside. Yeah. There's a, a fabulous history of the Bay Area. Um, uh, it's a Donovan song. Gosh, what's the name of that song? Um, the Witch. Uh, Season of the oh, Witch. Season of the Witch, yes. And uh, it talks a lot about just how fucking weird the Bay Area was in that time. Like the, like the the la- the lady that was a secretary um, to Pat to Patty Hearst's dad, William uh-huh. Randolph Hearst, or to Patty Hearst's grandfather, was a secretary, and she was part of trying to get Patty Hearst back. Um, right. Who they would have been. Um, they would have both gone to the PU club together at times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the secretary one day pulled a pistol at Gerald Ford and tried to shoot him. 
And she was asked and interviewed, why did you try to shoot the president? And she said, well, you just have to understand, like, these were the times. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. My gosh. Yeah. You know, there were, I mean, Patty Hearst. I remember Patty Hearst, you know, grew up in Hillsboro. You were, you were, you remember her in school or you remember her around? She's a little bit older than, than, um, uh, just a little bit older than I am, but I remember seeing her. You never, made you never made out though. No, no. <laughs> and Leslie Bacon, who was, tried to blow up the Pentagon, I think. Uh-huh. And, you know, all the SLA. You knew her, the Student Liberation Army. Leslie Bacon, yeah. Penny you knew Rose. her. Ricky Schoenfeld. It was a crazy, crazy group, scary group, yeah. So at that, you knew them personally, you're saying, and you see them around. Um. A little bit, not well. I knew Ricky. Ricky was my my friend. Yeah. Okay. And at that, when did you start taking your dad's Mercedes to go down to Esalen? Oh, <laughs> well, even before I took his Mercedes, that was seventy seventy four. Uh huh. Somewhere around there, seventy five. And yeah. I, but I had it. My car. I had a Gremlin, which was a great car. An AMC oh, yeah. Gremlin. I had the picture of the Gremlin, you know, on the hubcaps. And yeah. But um, yeah, and then I I borrowed my dad had just gotten a new little Mercedes, and I decided, well, this this I'm going to drive this down there. Was it a convertible? Uh, no, it was one of those that you can take the. It was a hard top that you could oh, take the top, top off. Yeah. And, yeah. S- and so you ran it into a light pole. I d- <laughs> I did. I ran it into a fence, like this big fence that was um, held up by three telephone poles, all you know, put together and sunk in the ground. And I sheared them all off at the ground. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> One of the poles hit you in the chest, and is that why there's a giant hole in your chest? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, I think that started. I don't know where that came from. You're fucking kidding me. You know what you have to know where that comes from. But, you know, it got worse. And and you didn't believe me when I told you this. It got it's gotten worse because I was standing at the. uh, uh, At the uh, outside of the Ganesha Temple in Gokulam waiting for some somebody to pick us up and uh this cow temple one of the temple cows came up to me and um i said oh look at the cow and the cow just kept coming yeah her eyes were all red (laughs) and then she just went whoosh like this and hit me luckily her horn you know the temple cow she had a her horn was shaved yeah. yeah, I have a cap on it. But it hit me right in that same spot. No! <laughs> wow. Oh, that's fantastic. And and I was standing next to Kaisa Kinuan, who uh, uh, is from Finland, you know, who mm-hmm. uh, teach. I where is she teaching? I don't. I don't think she. I don't think she's teaching right now. But anyway, she she lives in Paris, and. Um, and so I was lying on the ground, and Kaisa stood over me, and she said, are you all right? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I, and then I said, um, 
um, how did you know how to get out of the way? And she said, well, um, I grew up on a farm. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, what do you mean you like work for Carl Lagerfeld in Paris? <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she said, no, I grew up on a, but, but I, yes, she said, but I grew up on a farm in Finland. <laughs> wow. Yeah, those temple cows, you got to be careful. Yeah. I, I've, yeah. been, I've been almost horned by a few of them. Yeah, so I was gored by this cow. And, you know, I, yeah. I, it, it hit me, and then I thought, well, this isn't right. And so I grabbed its horn. Really? <laughs> and uh, I didn't realize, but, you know, cows are big. Even You didn't know that. I didn't understand it somehow. <laughs> and the, and so it just kind of threw me down on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you, I suspect <laughs> that the Mercedes is what caused the hole in the first place, other that or your the hole Could in your be. heart Could or the, your relationship with your father. I can't. I can't quite get it out of you. You're, you don't really know where it came no. from. I think it's I think it's genetic. It's passed down to me from Ugo. <laughs> Ugo. That's of course because that's where he would have shot himself. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Karma acts in a strange way. It is. It's karmic. <laughs> karmic so, retribution. So you're you were in Paris, you were gonna to study to be a sommelier. And then what happened, Robbie? Why did you then start going down to Esalen? What was that transition for you? Um, oh, I'd always uh, been interested. I think ever since I was in, because I was really sick when I was about seven, six and seven. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I had uh, rheumatoid arthritis. That was a diagnosis. Mm. Or rheumatic fever, like Chirac. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And uh, I just remember one Halloween, I was so excited for Halloween because I was in the hospital for a long time. And then, you know, nurses had decorated the room. I was in the pediatric ward, you know, all these stuff and we were going to get candy. And, uh, and then I got really sick and I slept through Halloween. Oh, oh. but something, something happened. Um, and I just got very interested in, um, in, you know, the other, the other side, kind of the unmanifest side. Well, what happened that made you interested in the transcendental well, he's almost, astral travel? He's having a near-death experience. That's what he's, that's what he's telling us. I, I don't, I don't really know, but it just became, you know, um, something that was always, always there. I knew I had stuff to do, you know, mm -hmm. in the, in the, in the, the so-called real world. Did you start but, traveling right away? And, no, I had to go back to third grade. <laughs> Right. And I missed so much school, I had to repeat third grade, too. So how did you hear about Esalen? How did you hear that that was a place where there are other people like you down there? Uh, 
Well, we were close by because by this time my uh, mom and dad moved to uh, to Pebble Beach, which is yeah, um, you know, it's very close. Like yeah, I'm actually. No, I, I looked down. I thought I was. I thought I was wearing the Pebble Beach sweater that you gave me. No, you've got the trefoil. You've got the 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 trichot. I've got the fleur de lis. Yeah, the fleur de lis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tri tricolor. Um, <laughs> so at that point, I'm trying to just get a handle on how you became to be you. I had thought that you had gone down to Esalen, and that those were in, and those were in very. Uh, transformative times, and you were, you were maybe even gardening down there. Yes, that's and, right. I was... And Stan Groff and his wife at the time, Joan Halifax, who's the great Zen nun now. Yeah, I had thought they would just like take vats of LSD and they would like baptize you in them and like dunk your head and, and like and like choke you out and you would like just. Fall like you know, pass out in in <laughs> giant mayonnaise vats of acid. That's that's what happened. I mean, that's what used to happen. And by the time I got there, I was seventy. Yeah, what was it? Mid seventies. They were kind of really trying to stop people from doing it. I'm sure it was there, mm -hmm. but um, uh, I was I was a little bit. Uh, shy to 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 try it, even if it had you know been easily around. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Stan said, you know, really um, uh, um, with the holotropic breath work that we do and strobe lights and all this stuff. That's what he wanted everybody to do. Mm -hmm. It was, like, and, more natural and organic? Well, it wasn't illegal. Right. <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> I think that was the only... The only um, I have to think that you, ended, you did end up taking LSD in a, uh, too much at some point. You know, I've never, I've never done it. Okay, and well, I would the three of us will do it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would love to. I just read uh, Michael Pollan's book, um, How to Change Your Mind, and it, it brought that all back to me mm -hmm. in a big way. Can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what Esalen was? Because probably a lot of people aren't familiar with what kind of group this was. They sound a little bit strange. You're right, Harmony. Forgive me, because I, I, I know a lot about it being from the Bay Area, but that's, yeah. that's important. Yeah, Esalen um, is still going strong. It's like 60 years now. And uh, uh, I think it's been like the kind of standard bearer for the, for the uh, what would you call it, the human potential movement? No, yeah, the transpersonal, like the transpersonal yeah. movement, uh, certainly the transpersonal colleges around the country stem from Stan Groff's work there. Um, and so something like Shambhala um, in Colorado, all those guys would have come out of Esalen. Right. And uh, Fritz Pearls was a big deal there. He was, he had gone just before I, you know, went, went there the first time, Alan Watts mm -hmm. and uh, George Leonard. Mm -hmm. 
Michael Murphy, you know, it was his family's uh, little, not farm, but it was their property. And he, the founder, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Rick Price, we've both been at Stanford. I think he and used then, to, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, no. I think he used to tell me that, that Joan Halifax would sit on the diving board nude and meditate. <laughs> well, close. I remember she was, uh, how old was she? She was probably 30, like early, early 30s or maybe just 30. Um, and uh, nobody wore any clothes at the pool, certainly not in the ba- at the baths there. The baths. The baths. The baths. Oh, the baths. Yeah. Uh. The baths. And yeah. they, because they've got those great sulfur springs. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I remember talking to her. Um, she was standing in the, we were kind of in the shallow end. So the water was, you know, up halfway up us. And um, she, she was like standing in tree pose with, with her, you know, her leg, her foot was up against her leg. And, and uh, but her hands certainly weren't up in the air. Standing there telling me, I can't remember what, because she was just, she was back then, as I'm sure she is now, just an amazing uh, light being who was just beautiful in so many ways. I think I had a big crush on her for sure. Mm -hmm. My problem with public nudity is hiding erections. Oh, (laughs) never really like i've i've spent a lot of time nude in public and like uh-huh. whenever you like you really like get a girl who's like interested in talking to you and like then you kind of realize that she's really interested like i got a mm-hmm. i got a bail i can't you can't i can't stand there with an erection yeah and i no. just like that's not it's not cricket you know it was it was all you know that was the other thing about eslin it was very uh, much anything kind of goes with sort of within reason. And, I mean, as far uh, as, pu- as public sex goes, that was within reason, was it? Well, I mean, sort of, but then you didn't really see much uh, happening. I, I think it was just for that time, it was really, um, it was really different. And, uh, you know, these encounter groups and gestalt uh, groups were uh, were something that I'd never, you know, had any exposure to mm. before. And uh, uh, there was one, uh, one group um, where you'd, you'd spend, uh, the, the task was you had to spend, what was it, 24 or 48 hours with um, somebody else. You sat around in a circle at the beginning of the, the uh, workshop and you picked somebody or you got picked if you wanted to do this. And you couldn't leave their side for, for a day or two, whatever it was. So you'd have to go to the bathroom with them and everything. Wow. And, I know a, yeah. I know a um, before in the 70s, there's a performance artist named Linda Montano 
who, as an exercise, tied herself to a Chinese-American performance artist. Uh-huh. They stayed tied to each other, and they weren't romantically involved. They stayed tied to each other for a year as a way of trying to really deeply understand attachment and aversion. For a year? (laughs) A year they did that. Yeah, Montana is is a series of really interesting um, uh, performances like that. Wow, that's amazing. This sounds like like extended Esalen, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it was crazy, and there were a lot of, a lot of, Really interesting people. I remember I got my mom and dad to come down for a weekend, which they were not the kind of people who would have, but they wanted to humor me. So they came down to Esalen and um, there was this, this thing where you have a partner uh, this, uh, for this weekend, you'd have a partner and it was uh, kind of based on um, like a Joseph Campbell thing, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. So you'd be, you had to watch your partner when they were letting their dark side out. Mm-hmm. Part oh, of this. yeah, 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 yeah. Primal screen. And, uh, yeah. My dad had this guy who had been a, a speechwriter for Nixon. Oh, um, wow. Pat Robertson was, was there. Pat Robertson was there. His name was, I don't know, he's a really interesting guy. But he um, uh, acted out his dark side and, and uh, you know, because you would, you would start growling and crawling around in the mud and, and uh, you'd just be like a, a vicious, ferocious animal, mm-hmm. like, a, like a mean hippo. Or something, and so this guy, the speechwriter, and my dad, who was, you know, trying to watch him, this guy got into the chicken coop, and he picked up a big rock and he and he um, killed a chicken. <gasps> oh, wow. that is a trick at Thailand. And so yeah. my parents said, you know, I think we've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll get my hat. <laughs> yeah. So that was, <laughs> they were they were really really sweet to come down there. And, wow. Um, yeah. Was it was it shortly after this that you followed Joan Halifax and became ordained as a Zen monk? Oh well, Joan, uh, she said you've got to come. I'm bringing um, uh, Sun San mm-hmm. from the Korea, the Korean monk uh, here for. Um, a month or two, and doing a session, you, you should come. And I said, okay. And so it was uh, like a, uh, a thing. I I really didn't know what uh, what it would be like because I'd never had um, much of a sitting practice. And uh, so we were sitting eight hours a day uh, in the big house at Esalen, I think there were maybe 20, started with 30 people. And and then after the first week, it went down to 20 because it's not easy. I think I was lucky just because I was young. I I didn't, uh, it didn't bother my body as much as 
you know, it would now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, so Sung San and uh, uh, we did the did the month, and uh, it was just so hard and so amazing. Um, you know, we get to to have a visit with him. I think once a week, everybody would get to uh, go up and, and sit with him uh, and talk to him because it was a silent, of course, it was a silent thing. So that was the only time you got to, to talk. Um, and I would just, I would just start crying. You just, you know, all this stuff comes up and he'd say, why sad? Somebody, somebody die? Sick family? And I said, no. <laughs> you know, it just comes up all this stuff. And um, uh, by the end of it, it was just an amazing feeling. Um, and he gave me uh, these uh, 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 robes, not a, just for an, as a novice. As a novice. Not a full bhikkhu. But a Not a full bhikkhu, no. But we had to um, have this ceremony. Oh, my God, you, I, I can't imagine they would do anything like this today. But uh, you'd sit and they put a piece of candle wick on your uh, inside of your arm. And you'd hold it out and then they'd lit it. Mm. And it burned your flesh on your arm. So it was all gone. I still have the scar. Yeah. Wow. On the on my arm and my uh, and what did he get my guru name? I don't know. You you could probably translate it because your Korean is so good. But uh, true pine tree mm. was my my uh, Korean name. Then. True pine tree. I might look yes. that up right now and see if you recognize him. Yeah, true pine tree. <laughs> you are and, like a true pine tree, Robbie. Crooked <laughs> and sappy, sappy, sappy. Um, uh, was it was it pinus cor- corianinus? That's Latin. Penis that corianinus. Is it penis? Was it penis penis densiflora? That sounds even more Latin. <laughs> okay, let me try this one. Sunamu. Ooh. It, that sounds good. To me, Korean is um, very difficult. Mm. Yeah. Like Sanskrit. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Jin Jung Han, Sonamu. Ooh, Jin Jung Han. That's beautiful. Jin Jung Han, Sonamu. Is that your name? Is that your <laughs> name, Robbie? <laughs> that sounds like it. Jin Jung Han, Sonamu. Oh, wow. That's a great accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after all of these adventures, how, how long were you? How long were you a monk? About um, a week. You Just, did it for a week. I see. I remember because he year. said, "Okay, that we're going to go. We're going to go uh, here next." And. I had just had this amazing, you know, experience, and said, uh, "I." Um, what I really knew that I had to do was to go back uh, home and uh, uh, go go back to school. I think what you what you told me 
is that you were sitting in meditation and you said to yourself, you know, I, I think I really like the things that come with money. Yeah. <laughs> that was, must have been. Why else? Yeah. You, do you deny that you said that to me? Or do you deny that you had that, 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 that I'm thought? I'm sure I said it to you. I'm sure. <laughs> and then, and then you, you burned your clothes. You burned your robes. I did. I wish I hadn't, but I did. Yeah. So passionate. Yeah. And I actually, I loved, uh, you know, the, the teaching. And I think I tried to fight it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like like yoga, because uh, even before that, at Esalen, there was a student or a friend of Norman Allen's who uh, taught, you know, tried to teach me uh, some primary series. At Esalen? Uh, what was her name? Simone Serpin, I think. Oh, wow. And, um, uh, I, di- and I, di- I didn't really, it didn't really do anything at that point. Well, so then you, you went back and you had a family and yes. you went to school and you married Nori and you raised your children. Yeah. And then at a certain point, did you come back to this spiritual life and you said, I'm going to do yoga, Ashtanga yoga now? Or did it stay with you all those years? Oh, um, it stayed with me kind of just in the background. And, I, you know, I didn't really do much. The only thing I kept, I kept it actually from Simone, uh, from what she did for yoga. I didn't really, uh, you know, I wasn't sitting uh, in meditation. All I did was um, uh, Nauli, because she had me do Nauli every morning oh, yeah. before practice. And I did that. That's good for your circulation, your digestive system. Yeah. I and your nadis. That. That's why you're so pure. Nadis. It is why you're so pure. <laughs> so, yeah. What I really I mean is like the heart of you being interested and so sincerely in devotion and uh, spirituality and, and this transpersonal consciousness, did that stay with you even as you maintained a householder tradition? Oh yeah, I, lo- I loved that always. It was stay. It was there still. Yeah. And so, how did you then get introduced to Ashtanga Yoga again? I um, saw a picture of uh, Guruji, I think, and then I found um, uh, I found that book, uh, that big paperback. My source style or something. Oh, oh with Rolf, yeah. with Rolf on the with cover. Rolf on the front. I said, "Who, oh, who are that? these people?" Yeah. And uh, then I took a class. It's so funny uh, because she's at Stanford now, or in Mountain View, Beata Skripovs. Um, oh, with Beata. I took an Ashtanga yeah, class in Palo Alto. So that was two thousand five, maybe six. Oh yeah. And then. Um, it irritates to, the shit out of me that, that my student, Jose, from Brighton, is in that uh, book three times. 
No, and he is. That's right. Yeah. And I'm not in the book at all. I missed it by like a week. I missed the photo shoot by a week. I'm so fucking bitter about that still. I was yeah. there when they were doing all the photos, and but I was a purist. And so I did not pose for the photos. <laughs> yeah. I think Heidi told me. Yeah. I was. Thing. Yeah. Said, I don't know about this guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah so we didn't. There was a group of us that were against the yeah. promotion and this because he was an outsider coming in. You fucking yeah. So we yeah. did. We refuse to pose. Now you're pose, ruthlessly yeah. on the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed. Mm. Yes, very different. I, huh. I wanted to ask you about an experience that I had that I think is is such an interesting um, an interesting one to me. It kind of combines so many different parts of our relationship, but also our yoga practice. I remember I was in your house in Burlingame and you'd been practicing Ashtanga yoga now and you're passionate about it. And I was coming in 2009 just to stay with you. And we were having a fucking great time together. You and I, those 10 days inseparable. And, you know, I just, I, I, it was like, um, uh, lusty and trusty are nicknames. (laughs) And we, <laughs> and we would go around and um, we'd like fall asleep on golf courses together. You know, it, it was, it was so good. And I remember at one point you, I was on the phone to Taiwan and you went into, you walked into the room and you handed me a glass of wine and I didn't, I was, I had never drunk really at that point. Maybe you have like one glass a year. Right. And even and I would like sip half of it, you know. I was being very cautious about alcoholism in my family. And you handed me this glass, and I thought, "Oh, that's nice, Robbie. That's sweet of you." And I just turned back to my phone call, and I sipped it. And the experience of sipping this, and as I've learned now in hindsight, it was uh, the Kistler brand of, and it was Kistler does a Pinot Noir, and they do a Chardonnay, and they're there uh, is it Anderson Valley or Napa Valley? It's uh, Sonoma. Sonoma Valley. S- Sonoma, Sonoma Coast Valley Vineyard. Yeah. And I sipped this glass of wine without any preconceived notion on what it was. And the sensation was that my head had just been blown off by a shotgun. Oh, you, you have because you have a you have a great palate. <laughs> I had never experienced anything so good. In my entire in my entirety of life, and I'd been to like some Michelin star restaurants, and like it, it was exquisite, but like this was something else. And there's um, I feel like I've spent the whole rest of my adult life chasing after this first experience, and I've even had I've had dozens of of Kisslers since then. Yeah, that didn't match this first glass of wine. It's like that practice that you have in yoga where you just try to get back to that one maybe the first one that was first practice that was so that changed everything and and uh the kisser i think it was uh a cuvee elizabeth maybe 2006 or seven yeah so that's a really great vineyard that kissler has they bottle it separately oh 
And uh, it's just mind-bending. I mean, wine can be, have that kind of trans, transcendental quality where it doesn't really taste like wine. Hmm. And it just sends shivers up your spine. Yeah. You have that experience where, you know, um, this is not just old grape juice. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is God. Yeah, this is God. So and, I had, uh, I had yeah. this Yoga Sutra, uh, Yoga Sutra, the second book, uh, part three, uh, section three. Verse what do they call three. It? Verse three. Avidya Asmita Raga Dvesha Abhinvesha Pancha Klesha. And Gracious. yeah. The, this Raga, this pleasure, is something that I've been seeking to reproduce in the glass ever since. And I have yet to find it, but all I've done is become a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to find. It's like they say, um, there are no great uh, wine, no great wines, only great bottles. Uh, because, uh, uh, you know, on, a, on just a physical plane, you have variation between bottle, but then everything else comes into play when you're drinking. Yeah. Right. The, 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 the wine, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's just like, um, um, I think it really is more the smell and the effect, you know, that it has maybe on, uh, on our vagabond nerve. Vagal tone. <laughs> yes, yes, Vegas, Vegas. That yeah. uh, you get, you get this, this smell. I remember having, I think it was like a 1980 Henri Jaillet Pinot from from Burgundy, and it wasn't. I had this was maybe in 80, 83, 1983, so it wasn't very old. But I opened it up and I poured a glass and I smelled it. And I was, you know, in the business at the time. So mm -hmm. I was working. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, oh, my God, what is that? And it just, it was just like the light went off. Mm -hmm. And I said, what is that smell? It's just like ethereal. And, you know, the color in the glass was this bluish because it was so young, whatever the pH was, but it was kind of blue. It was kind of Krishna colored, like <laughs> Bala Krishna. And then I thought, wait a minute. And I ran outside. There were some violets. I said, is this what it is? There was a patch of violets growing, you know, on the sidewalk. Mm. And I bent down and I sniffed them. And it was the exact same thing. Oh, wow. Pure violets. Violet. It's just like, amazing uh, not violets of this world but just transformed by this and that's you know you kind of get that experience with all sorts of stuff probably but i really yeah in, in like you mentioned in in the wine and pinot is a very difficult grape to to vinify but um it probably has more of that aspect to it than any other but it's true with anything, though, isn't it? Whether it's, yeah. it's love making or coffee or yoga or wine, a sunset, a, a painting, uh, an opera, 
you you hear it and you think how can i ever replicate this you know how do we ever how but that's that 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 immediacy that the mind has to want to replicate it is the problem in itself it, it is the attachment I, it is i know you know that's true for me with uh, uh practice mm. i remember in um uh in conference in uh, in Gokuram, uh, I asked Rot because they'd had this experience uh, after practice, laying down and resting, taking rest, mm-hmm. just like this amazing, like if you had put, if there was a, a child or a puppy. Mm-hmm. Uh, right above your forehead, mm-hmm. bre- you know, breathing down on you, mm-hmm. this warm air, yeah. or like even a cotton ball full of warm oil or something put on your forehead, and uh, and moving too, you know, it would like have it would be alive, mm-hmm. and just having that feeling that. Um, that this is this is what I want to have all the time. Mm. Yeah. But and you know, I you get it sometimes once in a while um, after practice. But if you but if I want it, you know, go looking for it. It's not there. Yeah. Yeah. This is a. I've heard people describe this as the religious instinct. Yes. You you have a sensation, and then you you build instruments, uh, say stained glass or uh, an organ, um, beautiful flowing robes. You you build you build all these instruments to try and replicate the mystic experience that you have in that moment. But it's ineffable. It's not created by the room. It's created by the the consciousness experiencing the self. Yeah, yeah. It's impossible. It's it's just it. Yeah, it's there. It's beyond uh, you know all the things that we want or can think of doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll just keep uh, practicing and drinking wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully not at the same time (laughs) not today lord (laughs) i have to say that even though i would want to create a religion and uh, a church around you and it's it's i do because i do feel that when i'm with you these life is sweeter and more interesting and more hilarious and beautiful than it is when I'm than I'm with <clears throat> any other man. Yes, and thank so, you, thank you. And, um, <laughs> I I think that uh, you should really get into like making like a cult. You need people to organize violent extremist groups around you. Yeah, I can. And then I we can really take full advantage of your capacity. I, I can get some candle wicks. 
That'd be great. Light them on fire. We'll start small with candle wicks. We yeah. start small. I, oh my gosh. I, I, uh, I think we'll get, uh, we'll get, um, uh, Robert, uh, Moses to tell us how, how, how not to do it. Yes. How <laughs> not to do it. We'll get Robert Moses back on to oh, tell yeah. us how to do it properly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Robbie. It was so wonderful to talk with you and connect with you. So fun. It's just amazing. You guys are so great to do this. I had never um, listened to a podcast before. And since, you know, getting invited to do this by you, which was so great, I've I've just gone crazy i mean I've, I've listened to all of them and they're so good you're really great to do it because it's like a different portal into this into this world of of wonderful emptiness the way it should be yeah your devotion to ashtanga yoga is so very unique it seems so effortless and you just seem like the the kind of man that would give anything for his teacher and anything for our community. And you're very special. And we're um, we're really we're quite blessed to have you as a part of our community. Oh, thank you. <laughs> People can find you at Stanford University on Wednesdays. Is that correct? Is that correct, Robbie? I'm not uh, teaching now. I just got a uh, an email from uh, from Zach at Stanford, and they're you know they're starting up again. I think Anne is there. Okay, yeah. So you and, are not uh, you are not findable. I'm not findable, but you can, anybody in the community can go. Uh, the, the best way to find the class uh, is uh, just to just type in Ashtanga Yoga Stanford. Yeah, but I don't want up. them. I want you, man. You're the <laughs> one. <laughs> but I have the fire. I have the candle wicks. You could beware. I would recommend to anyone who is in California in the coming year to find Robbie Cavallero through Instagram, where he is Smudge Woozle. Uh, smudge woozle smudge woozle that's how you can find robbie on instagram and ask him if you he will take you to rasa which is the finest michelin star south indian restaurant in north america and the two oh, it is good lovely yes <laughs> the two of you have a lovely afternoon it's good so one last thing before we go robbie you how old were you when you came to practice ashtanga yoga um you're ancient. 50, 50, let's see, I started doing yoga. I was 52. 52. And what 53. would you say that it's brought to your life since then? It's uh, helped um, pains in my body. It's given me that feeling that we were talking about with the mm. caterpillar crawling on my forehead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice warm caterpillar. <laughs> And um, it's it's just a, a been a wonderful portal into the into the unmanifest. Mm. Mm. Beautiful, and that's without doing advanced series, which is no, oh Robbie, yeah, I've Robbie never is done. Natural, Robbie is a natural backbender. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
The hole in his so heart. Hard. The hole. He the wraps hole. right around like a caterpillar. And the cow. And the cow. And the cow. He comes back. Yeah. That's that's special. And I think that everyone, you know, you're a big inspiration also just because because of your heart and mm. because of your sweetness and your dedication and you know, watching you practice and being with you when you practice, there's just a real lightness and levity of being and, and you feel that the practice is a joy. And, and I think that's the quality we're all trying to, to reach when we're practicing. Oh, it's so sweet. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Harvey. <laughs> thanks for coming on our show, Robbie. I love you, Robbie. I'll see you soon. Love you. Love you. Love you. Bye, you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow, watching the breaking waves, there's a hard wind and the soil.